Hey there, my name is Ben Ramos, and you are listening to the Rise Church Podcast. We are a church in southeastern Idaho that is dedicated to sound biblical theology, coupled with the authentic power of God. Our true hope is that this podcast would help you to continue to grow and taking steps in your relationship with Jesus. I hope you feel empowered today. I hope you feel encouraged today, and I hope you feel uplifted. God bless you. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks for being here in this building season this morning. We are in the Gospel of Mark, and we are uh, just studying through it verse by verse. And so we're going to find ourselves in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. This is just the second week. But let's go ahead and read it, starting in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, "'You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased.'" The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. In case you didn't know, this is the word of the Lord, and this is good news, and this helps bring shape to our life. I want to open up this morning as we would dive into understanding these verses I want to just simply make a confession, and this confession is going to help us frame up uh, our understanding for the scripture this morning. And so here's the confession. Well, before I actually get to it, I want to give some um, understanding um, to to my confession. And this is a confession that's being made to you by a committed follower of Jesus, Um, It's a confession being made by somebody who has dedicated his life to um, encounter Jesus every day through his scripture, through prayer, through worship. Um, I I believe that Jesus' work on the cross accomplished my salvation, that he paid the price for my wholeness in in my life. Um, I'm actively seeking God and saying, Holy Spirit, do what your word says that you will do and bring conviction into my life, help bring shape into my life. If I don't look like Jesus in any way, I just, I want to yield it. I want to fully look like Jesus, right? Um, uh, This confession is going to come from a a person who has seen a, a person in front of me, seen many people in front of me where their bodies are broken and hurting and in pain and having sickness and diseases and God shows up right then and there and makes them whole. I've seen and experienced that in my, my own life. And while I know and experience and walk in all of these things on a consistent basis, I have normal battles in my life. I've got battles in my life that I walk through on a normal basis, and one of those battles is, is depression. I, I plead with God over it, just like, um, just like Paul did, pleading before the Lord to remove that thorn in the, in the flesh. I, 
I expect that he's going to bring complete healness and wholeness right then and there because it's already been paid for. I'm just waiting for the full manifestation of that to take place. I, so I, I, I proclaim, I, I confess, I, I, I trust. I'm not claiming this for my identity as, as a part of me. Um, I don't identify with it. It's simply an acknowledgement of what I presently and have historically walked through. It's, it's just a part, it's, it's a part of life these days. And um, my current strategy, in case anybody else walks through it, I know this is not a popular thing for pastors to bring up, um, and, or even Christians to bring up, but the, the way that I am walking through it is to hold it before the Lord daily and say, just, would you, would you have this? Would you remove it from me? As I'm not seeing the fullness of that taking place right here and right now, I am trusting that his grace is going to be enough to get me through that day. It's going to be enough to get me through that season. I tell people when I'm struggling. I've got people in my life who know how to ask the right questions and I tell them that if, if I go into like a hiding place or if I'm like super quiet for a long amount of time, reach out to me because you know I'm, I'm probably walking through, walking through some difficulty and I, I press on. Um, as a part of, of this, one of the things that I experience on a normal basis is this subconscious and spiritual minimizing of the joyful events in my life and a maximizing of the negative things in my life. You guys ever like experienced that? Where I'm giving so much focus to the negative things in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm strategizing about it, I'm praying about it, I'm, I'm thinking about it, I'm mulling over it, and then when there's the joyful things in my life, I minimize it, I don't give it much attention, I don't give it much, much focus, and I've I've discovered that there are a handful of ways to, to battle this. Uh, the easiest is acknowledging the negative, because it does us no good when we just completely ignore that there is anything negative happening in our life, right? So we can't just be turtles with our heads in, in the sand. We've got to actually acknowledge that these things have taken place, and then we've got to learn from it quickly and not sit there and just... Keep thinking about it over and over. Don't dwell on it. So that's, that's the easiest. The logical other step would be to maximize the joyful events in our life. Now, I, I say that, but I have to acknowledge something, that that is, it sounds simple, but it's, it's intensely difficult. It's, it's a huge step, and sometimes change just requires baby steps, and so here's my baby step between going from minimizing to maximizing, and that is to unminimize. And here's my definition of how to unminimize. It is to uh, restore a healthy amount of attention back to those joyful events in my life. Practically, here's how I'm doing that. Um, in previous seasons in my life, I recognize that I've got too much anxiety. And the Bible says that we shouldn't be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and petition, holding it before the Lord, right? And thanksgiving. And so I've made it a daily habit in my journal, in my time with Jesus, that I will just 
write out, okay, what is causing me anxiety? What is causing me stress? And I'm going to hold it before the Lord before I have, until I have a peace that surpasses all understanding, right? And so I just wait, just wait. All right, God, you're taking this. You're handling this. Oh, I don't fully, I don't fully feel that yet, but I'm going to keep declaring it. And I just wait until that peace of God comes over me. But while I'm doing this, what I've realized is that has actually minimized that time that I spend thinking about the joyful things in my life. And so I have unminimized by um, writing out just a little wins column in my journal. So I just write out wins, and then I start writing on a daily basis, what are the things that God came through on? What, what are the things that God answered prayers in? How, how is he moving and doing awesome stuff? Because when I look at like, the, the story of Acts and the beginning of the, the church in Acts, I think it's like 242, one of the things that it said was happening on a regular basis is that the people were marveling at the awe of God. They, they were actively seeking out, what are those things in my life that I can say, whoa, God's moving. And, and so this is what it looks like for, for me to be unminimizing. Why, why am I telling you this? I've I've got a few reasons. I think the biggest is that I, just as senior pastor here, as a man of God, I have committed to another year of being vulnerable. It was something that I, I battled with because it seems like the easiest thing um, for a, a pastor or good leader, as you listen to these awesome leadership podcasts, some of which is, is decent stuff, but it seems like they say, people want to follow a strong leader. And so don't show your weaknesses. Don't, don't let anybody see where your weaknesses are because how, how are they going to follow a weak leader? And this is like, I, I'm, I'm, I have these sounds coming into my head. And then I, I look around and listen around to other, other pastors and I'm not seeing the, the vulnerability that I'm talking about. And so I've battled with God and saying, God, why do I have to live vulnerable? What if vulnerability is, is causing people to not identify or, or you know, all these, these negative connotations that come with vulnerability? And God gave me five reasons why I needed to commit to a year of vulnerability. And, and let me just give you them. The first one is this. Vulnerability in leadership helps build a safe environment for vulnerability in the fellowship. So by me being vulnerable, my hope is that it opens a space for all of us to live a vulnerable life where we're not hiding behind this facade of what everyone wants to see. We have enough of that with social media. So why don't we, when we come together and we live lives as followers of Jesus, live in a vulnerable way of allowing everyone to see who we are the second is God's strength is made perfect in weakness. And so it's when I acknowledge and bring out my weakness, that's when God's strength is on full display. So if I'm not doing that, the other side of that coin means that God's power can't be on full display, and that would come against everything that I believe. I don't want to hinder God's power at all. Uh, number three was the perfect leader is a myth. If you ever find yourself sitting under a leader who's not exposing some of the things that they walk through, it's a myth. It's a lie. There's no such thing. There was. There is. He, his name is Jesus. 
and he truly is the senior pastor of every church, right? But us under shepherds, we're not perfect. And so if you find yourself following that, even uh, just break that down, right? So we're talking about this in a church context, but what happens when we break that down into like a family context, right? We're, 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 leading, helping lead our spouse or our, our children or our, our nephews or, you, you know, we're, we're in some sort of leadership position. We've got to lead out of vulnerability. If we truly believe that discipleship is, is how God intends for us to grow, discipleship starts with an exampling. Jesus was the example for us. And we are to be examples for those in our lives as we're calling them to do stuff. And so the perfect leader is a myth. Number four, I want to be light as he is light. In other words, I don't want to hide stuff in the dark. I've seen this time and time again where when we hide stuff in the dark, when we're not exposing things in our lives, that's where the, the, the sin and the ickiness festers and it grows and we don't, we don't want that in, in our lives. And number five, I'm telling you this because minimizing is a mechanism that's built into the human flesh. That means this is actually something that we all deal with. Maybe it's on a different type of, a different level, but this is something that we, we all deal with. And there's some good things and some bad things about minimizing. When I was about seven or eight, and I was doing like crafts with paper and stuff, um, I would get a paper cut, and I, I would be like, oh my God! That, because it was a paper cut. I, ha I haven't experienced this painful little thing before, but my mercy, it feels like I just lost a finger. Now, when I get a paper cut after experiencing like 30 some odd years of paper cuts, I'm like, ouch, Charlie, that really hurt. But I'm not freaking out like I was. Why, why is that? It's because I began to minimize that situation. I began to normalize it, right? This is just something that, that takes place. I'm not giving it all the, the attention that I did when I was seven or eight, this is a good thing to minimize, right? Because if I'm freaking out like that over a paper cut now, and maybe some people still are, so there's, there's grace for your face, okay? <laughs> there's grace for your face. But this, this happens to us in, in normal, normal life. But there are ways where we minimize, and this is a part of who we are as, as humans, where it can be a not-so-good thing. So let's bring this into the Bible. When we experience the same experience over and over and over again, just like that paper cut, that's when we begin to minimize. When we put it to something that would be applicable towards the Bible, when we read a story over and over and over again, when we hear a story preached over and over and over again, what happens is we tend to minimize that. In other words, we, we begin to spend less time focusing on that event, and we learn less from that event because we're minimizing. So what do we got to do? We, we've got to un, unminimize it. And I think it's, it's so important that 
you know, things like a paper cut, we, we minimize because it is the same event that keeps taking place over and over and over again. But as followers of Jesus and believers in the Bible, we've got to look at the Bible how God tells us to look at the Bible, that this thing is, is alive. These aren't just words on a page, that this is alive, it is active, it is, it, every time we read it, it has the power to transform us. And I want to be transformed on a normal basis. And so we've got some unminimizing to do. And I, I believe that's the stance that we need to take as we move into this passage of Scripture this morning. And so I've got a, a list of things that we often minimize uh, as we read through the gospel story. Uh, we often spend less time on them because we've heard them time and time again. And it seems like a simple thing. And we believe that we have uh, learned all that we could possibly learn from this section of scripture, but I want to tell you there's more. There's more. So let's unminimize. Let's bring the focus due to the scriptures that need to be focused on. The first of these is that Jesus was baptized. In verse 9, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And so, we bring ourselves back into the story of where we have been reading in John, as well as uh, some of those stories from uh, the Advent season, the arrival of Jesus Christ. And we know John is out there. He's got his camel hair robe. He's rocking those uh, insects dipped in honey. It is incredible. And he is saying, you need to be baptized for the repentance of, of sins. You need to be cleansed of, of your sins. And... So the question that I have as we enter into this and in realizing the story of what's taking place, John's out there on the river, Jesus comes walking down, says, I need to be water baptized. The question is, why? Why does Jesus, right, we're talking about Jesus, why does Jesus need to be water baptized? We saw during Advent that he was born of the Spirit, right? So he had the Spirit of God in him, so it couldn't be for that reason. Did Jesus need forgiveness of sins? Well, as we seek to answer that question, we've, we've already identified that John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. They grew up together, not necessarily in the same house, but they knew each other growing up. John knew the substance of his life. You got people in your life that know like what the substance of, of your life is. If someone said, yeah, well, Eric did this. You're the person that's going to say, Eric would never do that. I know, I know the substance of his life, right? This was what it was like for John and, and Jesus. He knew what Jesus' life looked like. And on top of that, we get scripture, like in 2 Corinthians 5.21, says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And so we have that declaration that Jesus was, was sinless, but we get to this story of John out there baptizing, Jesus coming down to be water baptized, um, and knowing Jesus' sinlessness, what, is, what does John say? It says in Matthew 3.13, it says that, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
So he consented, and Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so John the Baptist didn't even want to baptize Jesus. Was it because he knew that he was the Messiah? Let's, let's read here in John 1.29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. Again, I saw the spirit descending of heaven from heaven like a dove, and it remained upon him. I myself did not know him, but he, was, uh, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom the spirit descends and remains, this is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we, we see twice within this passage that John is saying, I did not know him. Um, from this understanding, we know that he's not saying, I didn't know Jesus. They, they grew up together. He, he's saying, I didn't recognize exactly who he was. I didn't, I didn't realize that he was this, this Messiah. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize it. And so the reason why John is actually saying, I, I'm not fit to be baptized by you is because of this sinless life that he was already living. It's, it's incredible. When Jesus arrives to be baptized by, by John, John says, no, 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 no. I, I can't do this, but eventually lets him do it. And he was water baptized. So why... Why was Jesus, why did he have to be water baptized though? That's, that's the question, right? Why did, why did Jesus have to be water baptized? He said, let it, be so, let it be so now. In other words, I need to be baptized now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all, all righteousness. This is, this is his purpose within his water baptism. That righteousness would be fulfilled. In other words, here's what he's saying. He did it for us. He was water baptized for, for us. What does that mean? Um, because I know that within our specific context where we live here in southeast Idaho, that can be taken a number of different ways where he was baptized for us. But here's, here's how I break that down. Jesus was baptized for three primary reasons. The first is this. He was identifying with humanity. He, he came to be Emmanuel, God, God with us. He's coming to identify with humanity. Here I am. I'm stepping towards you. I'm leaving my heavenly home. I'm, I'm coming down to be with humanity, identifying with us. He was committing himself to us, right? Baptism for us today represents death and life. So when he goes into the water, he's helping us to know that this is an identification for us that we can identify when we go under the waters of baptism, when we come under, we're saying, that old me, that's dead. Come on, someone's got to clap for that. That's good news. 
That old me is dead. And now when I'm coming up out of the water, I get to be brand new. I get to come up out of that water new. And I, I get to say that I've got new life now. That I'm a new creation now. I'm brand, I'm brand new. Brand spanking new. That's good news. Jesus came committing himself to us. And Jesus was an example for us, right? In this, we get to, again, look at the whole concept of discipleship. And if Jesus were to come and say, hey, y'all need to be water baptized, but, but I didn't, right? That, that would be a hindrance towards discipleship. There's an importance in exampling within discipleship and showing this is what it looks like. This is what your life is to look like. And we know we're all being conformed into the image of of Christ, and so this is an example, an example for us. I hope that helps us to just unminimize the water baptism of of Jesus just a little bit. Another thing that we tend to minimize is that Jesus was empowered. He was empowered. It says in verses ten and eleven, immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit. Like a dove descending upon him, and a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. This word opening of the heavens is the Greek word schizo, schizo. It's where we would get our English words like schism, a, a demarcation between two groups of people, a dividing, a dividing between two groups of people. It's also where we would get the term schizophrenic. Right, these different parts of a, a, a person's um, mentality or whatever word I'm looking for there, um, it, it's divided or split into many different personalities. Right, Schiz- schizophrenia, this this tearing apart, and it can be violent as it's used in in the Greek. And this word has significance both prior to Jesus coming and after he he comes. We see it prior to his arrival. In Isaiah 64, 1, as the people of God are longing for God to move. Anybody else longing for God to move? I'm still feeling that today. Come on, Jesus, we want you to move here in our region and in our world. But as they are longing for God to move, they say in Isaiah 64, 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would tear them open. And that you would come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Right? There was this longing for the power of God to be manifest, to be revealed, the heavens to be opened up. And he did that in Jesus. We see this again significant, this, this Greek word schizo, um, as Jesus breathed his last breath there on the cross. It says that when he breathed that last breath, that the veil in the temple was schizo. It was torn in two. Now this, this, this marker, this dividing line between the holy place and the most holy place where we encounter the, the true presence of God, now that's been torn apart. Again, good news. Y'all got to get a little bit excited. This is some cool stuff. We've got access to God. This is good stuff. Come on. When the heavens were opened, Jesus uh, opened over Jesus the power of God was poured out upon him, and, and it looked like just uh, something like a dove descending, descending upon him. And it's at this point that everything transitions in, 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 into ministry, that he's empowered for ministry. At this point, Jesus had not done any miracles. He hadn't preached that the kingdom of God was here. He hadn't healed the sick. 
He was empowered to do these things right here and right now as the heavens were, were torn open. And what exactly he was anointed to do, I think it's important, especially as followers of Jesus, because we're anointed to do similar things. But Jesus declared what he was anointed to do by that empowerment of the Holy Spirit, by that tearing open, that schism, that schizo of the heavens. He was in the, the synagogue there one day in Luke chapter 4, and it says that he opened the book and he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he closes the book. He gave it back to the attendant. Everyone's eyes were fixed on him, and he began to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Come on. Unminimizing this moment, the empowerment of Jesus Christ is so, so, so crucial that we unminimize it and that we, we recognize that it took place for a reason, again, as our example, to be empowered by the Spirit of God to be ministers in, in this world. You see that what it looked like in, in the Old Testament when the Spirit of God would come upon these leaders, these prophets, these kings, these judges, they would be empowered by God to do specific and powerful things. And this is exactly what, again, is taking place and can take place in, in our lives. And I want to encourage you that if you're unsure if that has taken place in your life where you've been empowered by the Spirit of God, that we continue to seek that. The Bible says if we seek, we, we shall find. So we've got we've to seek after this. But listen, in our pursuit of ministering in the power of God, one of the things that is easy to do and I've seen done in a number of charismatic and Pentecostal circles is that we seek after the gifts and we forget to seek after the giver of the gifts. In other words, we minimize who Jesus is. When we read through the scripture, that's something that we need to be cautious about, that we're not minimizing Jesus. Who was Jesus? Jesus was fully God and fully, fully man. He wasn't just a mere man like some people would choose to teach. And we get that. People get this understanding from a misunderstanding in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul is talking to the church in Philippi saying, listen, here's the attitude that you're supposed to live in. I want you to live with the attitude of Jesus Christ. And so this is the, this is the tone that he's writing in. He says, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, this was the attitude that Jesus put on. Who? although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We praise God for that, but he emptied himself. This didn't mean that he stopped being God the Son. 
It, it means that he now was laying aside his power and choosing to only function out of the power that the Father was empowering him with, that he was only carrying out the will of, of the Father who's anointing him for this mission. We've got to remember who Jesus is. Jesus is God the Son. We don't want to minimize him in our pursuits. Are we doing okay with unminimizing some things within the story? So far, so good? I want to uh, unminimize one more thing, and I'm going to have a worship team make your way up, uh, if you could. But Jesus was, Jesus was tempted. Again, this is a, a small thing that we tend to just breeze right past. Oh, yeah, 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 Jesus, Jesus was tempted. Okay. In other Gospels, it gives a little bit more attention to them. But here in Mark, it says, immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast and the angels were ministering to him. It's so, it's so interesting that this wasn't just a random event. Jesus going and being tempted was not a random event. He was led there by the Spirit of God. Why was it necessary, though? Like, why did, why did that have to happen? Why is this so important? We look back in our storyline, back to the creation account, back with Adam and Eve, and they were tested and they failed. They lost this battle many years ago, and so Jesus had now been anointed for ministry and his first task was to overcome temptation. He overcome it in every way. Come on, preach that, sister. He overcame it. Jesus was led into the wilderness to overcome the enemy. This is sweet, guys. This is sweet. You know, this is the... This is the reason why we can face our greatest temptations. This is the reason why we can successfully declare the promises of Scripture and the encouragements in Scripture where it says that there is no temptation that has overcome me. We can actually effectively say this because Jesus overcame temptation. Amen. We can actively say, as Paul would say, that I'm mastered by nothing because of what took place here. Listen, I want to encourage you this, that 2023 is your year. 2023 is your year for freedom. I, I believe that. The word of the Lord for Rise Church um, has been, for 2023, focus on, on freedom. This can be effective this year. Focus on, on your freedom. Jesus overcame the enemy. So I want to just ask you practical questions or maybe ask of you uh, to, to do this, this action. Consider what it is that you're getting free from. What are you getting free from this year? I want you to write it down. I want you to pray over it. I want you to fast over it. I want you to be discipled through it. I want you to declare Jesus' victory over it because that's what took place on that sunny day in the desert. He overcame it. 
I want to close uh, with just a few application points that we can extrapolate from, from our text today. And the first is this. We must identify with the person of Jesus. What Jesus did in that water baptism was he took a step towards us. He identified with humanity. And now the invitation to all of us is that we would identify with Jesus. That we would declare that he is our our Lord and our Savior, that he came for me, that God so loved the world, which includes me, that he sent his one and only son to pay the price for our sins. Will we identify with his death and resurrection in, in our lives? What does that mean? That means surrendering our, our life. When we declare that Jesus is Lord, that means that he is the master and that he is the director of every single area in our life. That's not always comfortable, but it's what we're called and invited into. The second thing uh, we can pull from this text is that we must receive the power of Jesus. I know this is a big question today. Pastor Ben, do I, do I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? And I, I just keep thinking back to that, that TikTok that says, girl, you need the Holy Spirit to get through Walmart. Yeah, absolutely. We need the power of God in in our life. We need it. Listen, Christianity without the power of the Spirit is a form of religion that will always deny the power of God. And when they deny the power of God, now we're saying, oh, yeah, 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 it just happened that way. It It was just unique circumstance. We're taking away the glory from God. We've got to give the glory back to God. With everything that we do, glorify God. I want to share with you this warning real quick that Paul gives to Timothy. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He warns Timothy of a people in the age to come. What is this people going to look like? The people would have the appearance of godliness, but would deny its power. Friends, we're living in that day today where the power of God is being denied. We need to be those people. If you want to be a light in the world around us? You want to be salt to the world around us? We've got to be those who say, I'm going to live with the power of God. I'm going to yield my life to Jesus and allow him to use me however he wants to. We must receive the power of Jesus. Finally, number three, we must recognize the path of of Jesus. Jesus' first task was to overcome the devil. For us, oftentimes, this could look like having spiritual highs, having powerful experiences with Jesus, only to be followed by temptation. I've learned that the private victories in our lives are the foundation for public ministry. Meaning this, that there are a whole bunch of battles that we are going to walk through that nobody else sees. But just because nobody else sees them, I I think that can get discouraging to some people as we look at the lives of the people we're running with and, and believing that, well, no one else is going through difficult stuff. They they are. We all have stuff that we walk through. 
And Jesus is carrying us through them. And it is those private victories that are the foundation for us continuing to grow and have impact in public ministry. I want to expose another lie. This lie that says having authority over the enemy means that we'd never have to face him. Uh, Yeah, maybe we should have a few more laughs than that. We got to give a good old laugh to that. This was not true for Jesus, and it won't be true for you and I. Listen, this is why we actually have the power of God to overcome. Amen. So that when we face the work of the enemy, that we can overcome. So important that we recognize the truth of, of Scripture. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're feeling defeated. I just want to speak this truth over you. You have victory in Jesus Christ. You may not see it right now. You may not feel it right now. But there is victory in Jesus Christ. And I speak that in faith over your life. So surrender yourself afresh this morning to the Lord. Soften your heart. And shoot, if there's anyone that we would bring shame on, let's just bring shame to the devil for he's been defeated. Hey, thanks again for tuning in with us today. I really do hope and pray that this message has been transformative in your life to help you to take steps in relationship with Jesus. If this has been a blessing to you, there are several things you could do in order to give honor where honor is due. Uh, We would love if you would give us a like, go ahead and give us a subscribe, go ahead and share us, tag us, uh, quote us, do all of those things in your social media feeds. We would be so blessed by that. If you have any more questions or need any more information about who we are, what we believe, or if you'd like to give towards the forwarding of ministry here through Rise Church, you can do so at www.risechurchid.org. God bless. Have a great week.